This recording was made on Camaragal country, Sydney, New South Wales. It's the only way that you can describe what a person is, describe what they do. There doesn't seem to be much job satisfaction or pleasure in this picture. Guys, think about the name Buzz Aldrin. As, no, okay, don't just think about the name Buzz Aldrin. Think about like a five-year-old called Buzz Aldrin. There's only one thing that that kid is going to go on and do, and it is going to be a part of an elaborate fictional simulation of man walking on the moon. That's right. I'm calling it out. And you know why it's fresh in my brain is because I watched The Dish the other day because it was on free-to-air television, and for whatever reason, that was all there was. And I watched it, and I really enjoyed it, and I got reminded of the outrageous names of these astronauts, like Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin makes like they're, they're comic book names that's how i know the moon landing was fake because it wasn't like phil and lawrence go to the moon or digby you know like if you're if that's your name like i'm sorry it's probably not because i've only got a handful of listeners and i'm pretty sure none of you will have that name but if you do i mean it's nothing against your character but i'm just saying if your name was brent you probably wouldn't have been allowed to be an astronaut in the 1960s you might have been able to be on the stage production. I'm, t- I'm just trying to question myself about this because I'm trying to stick up for you here, Lawrence. Like, I want you to be an astronaut as badly as you do. But I reckon they might have let you hold a boom or something on set or maybe go and get the sandwiches, but I'm not sure. Like, you'd have been there. It's not like they wouldn't let you in, but there's no way you're the main event. Dude, imagine being an astronaut in the 60s. In the 60s. Like, it's sketchy already thinking about, like, from my armchair position, it is already sketchy thinking about going into space in 2021, let alone 60 years worth of technology ago. Like, I think about getting into a roller coaster that's not brand new. Oh my God, what an amazing first world statement. What I'm saying is there's a few sketchy old roller coasters that I've been on. And I think about how uncomfortable that feeling is when you you commit and you pass the point of no return, approaching the first bend going like, holy shit, like I just saw this thing go round, but it feels like I might get thrown out of it. Imagine doing that going into space with 20 less years of technological progress that a roller coaster built in the 90s. Unbelievable. Now, It's not for me. I'm not interested in space. And to be honest, like I always think this, if we can put humans in space, why aren't we just putting all our garbage up there? Why is it, why are we leaving it here? Because there's also no risk of like loss of life if a machine, machine, space plane, what are they called again? Spaceship? (laughs) A rocket? (laughs) Anyway, if that thing explodes and all the rubbish goes everywhere, well, it'll be floating around in orbit. Not ideal. But somehow perversely preferable to sitting in the terrestrial layer of the earth you know like sitting in a pit of landfill landfill just saying every time i say that word i'm like think about that word landfill we'll just fill it up well you just fill up just chuck a review mate far out anyway i'm glad i've started um this podcast on these key points which is that the moon landing was fake and why aren't we polluting space instead of earth I'm back, basically speaking. I'm back from an unannounced hiatus, and that's pretty obvious at this point in time because here I am talking, and there you are listening. So, cool, well-done roles for wasting the last 20 seconds of both our lives. Anyway, unannounced hiatus. Um, I got home from such an enormous adventure last year around Australia, and it was December, and then I blinked, and then 
suddenly it's February. It's just like amazing how that always happens. And everyone was so psyched that 2020 was over. And I so wasn't. It was quite a surreal like New Year's period for me because everyone's just like, oh my God, roll on 2021. There's no way it can suck as much as 2020 did. I'm just looking like, no, I just completely disagree. Whilst I respect, well, I don't really respect people who sound and say those kind of things. Um, But anyway, I get the point. Most people had a crappy time, but like, why should I pretend like 2020 wasn't the best year of my life when it was like I'm as excited for 2021 as anybody but there's also like no way it's going to be better than 2020 I just had the best time at the best time and I almost like sometimes feel bad about it but then also most of the time I just don't feel bad about it at all because like yes I feel bad for you if it sucked but why should it have sucked for everyone Like, why does everything need to suck for everyone? That's the big question, isn't it? Anyway, you know what happened to me the other day, by the way, which I need to um, check in about before I forget, because it's quite important. This is like, (laughs) really caught me off guard, actually. But guys, Chris Hemsworth, again, he's clocked me. He found me. I was, it was the weirdest experience. It's always so weird when I spot that guy spying on me and like trying to, like obviously taking as much of me as he can at any given point in time, but make sure that I don't notice. It's just super, I can't really explain how weird that is. But um, anyway, I was riding my pushy and this guy just comes up next to me on the road. And you know how cyclists are, how they're like basically hiding behind all their shit, all the fluoro colors on their Lycra, the big old flashy sunglasses and crazy bikes and whatever designed to basically be one big disguise. Um, and I say this like I'm a cyclist. I don't do that. I try not to. I probably do now that I've said it. Anyway, I'm on my bike. This guy sidles up next to me in all the gear. I'm like, I did the polite thing. Like I looked over, I gave him a nod. I was like, hey, dude, how's it going? Blah, blah. Yeah, obviously. Hey, we're both on pushies. We're both on the road. Cool. End of interaction. And I go, I look back down at my handlebars or whatever. And I just like, I could just feel this person just like staring at me staring at me and sure enough the light goes green right when I turn to have another look and just feel like who is this that's eye bashing me so much turns out who's standing there but Hemsy unclipped he's pulled his sunglasses off his face and he's just like staring man full scoping me out clocking my bike my rig obviously sort of just clocking everything about me with this look of like wow that is how being a man is done and I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Chris Hemsworth anyway. And buddy, again, I just hope you'll have the courage to speak up one day and say hello. I know I heard he was in town shooting a film. So anyway, I'll, um, I'll let you know when it happens again, because I'm pretty sure it's a when, not an if, let's be honest by this point in time. Um, I thought like probably worth doing a big old trip rundown because guys, this podcast is for me, not for you. I need to make that clear because I can continue to make no money for this. This is more about a digital diary for me. Like, this is something... there, Because I ask myself, I'm like, Rolls, is this a bit crazily big-headed to think... Are you really that egotistical to think that anyone cares what you have to say? And I guess the answer, uh, I hope, is no. But it is must be yes if I'm still doing it. But I'm hoping that it's just the one person that wants to listen to it definitely is me in, like, 60 years. So the main thing that I want to remind my future self about is obviously the trip, obviously, to me, because I'm talking to myself, okay? Relax. If you're out there going, that wasn't very obvious to me, mate. 
Well then, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't realise that people like you were listening. <laughs> Uh, well, it was, all right. Obviously, obviously, there I go again. It was the most, pretty much the most significant thing I've ever done, let alone the most significant thing that happened to me last year. But it was about a 20,000 kilometer round trip in the end. And that brings, so I've had the truck for about coming up on two years and it had 25,000 Ks when I got it. It's coming up on 63,000, which makes it, what is that? 38,000 kilometers in more or less 18 months. Insane. I can't believe how lucky I am and how much of this country I've been able to go and see. The trip was spectacular, especially during the pandemic. I had to do one self like voluntary quarantine, self-isolation thing, which was fine. I got some fresh air during the day because that is just the most inhumane thing about this whole quarantine situation is imagine a hotel room with no window. Anyway, That was fine. And then I got through unscathed by crazy interstate border restrictions and crazy weather. Like I saw a bit of crazy weather, but nothing on the crazy weather that followed. Broken Hill was underwater a week after I was there. The caravan park where I was staying got evacuated. And then also the rain and all the storms up on the north coast. Like after I got home, everywhere from Newcastle up to the Sunshine Coast was underwater. And I just like sailed through before it. I didn't get affected by the South Australia COVID breakout. It just an insane series of luck. Um, and what can I say? That's who I am. Is that an arrogant thing to say? It probably sounded arrogant, did it? That's who I am. I feel like how important is it though to just lay claim to positive shit like that and decide that for yourself? I am lucky. That was insanely lucky. And I feel like the more grateful I am for that, hopefully the more I'm going to attract it. But anyone I've seen since getting home, the first question is always, where was the best place? And it was so, that's such an easy answer. Far out, man. Uluru is just something else. The energy in the atmosphere around there, that is, I know that's like a hippie woo-woo thing to say, but surely no matter how conservative or robotic you are to deny your sensitivity to atmospheric vibration you know what those places feel like where the significance of whatever place it is is just like palpable and tangible in the air around you that was all a route because it's by itself in the middle of the desert and doing i've just dreamt about that place for so long so to finally get to like whatever it is the emotional heart of australia what do they call it the spiritual something of australia Anyway, whatever it is, it is. That's what it is. It's exactly what it is. Whatever they call it, that's what it is. So yeah, so everyone goes, what's the highlight? Uluru, easily the highlight. Most people have then asked, what was the low light? You know, whatever challenges or things you didn't like. One thing that I experienced that I really didn't like is, it's hard to describe actually, but it's about uh, poverty, really. The poverty in Australia is off tap. And that's something that I can only say, being the incredibly sheltered East Coaster that I am. I was about to say was, but I don't think I can entitle myself to say was after one trip. But I just didn't realize how extensive the destitution is in some really rural country towns. It's it's so sad. Like, I've been so flicking lucky to be able to go to a bunch of different countries overseas in my almost 30 years 
and see developing world poverty in places like South America and Indonesia and so forth. And it's almost been otherworldly because it's so far from home. And I'm not saying that the poverty in Australia is like, it's not like mud brick housing or no housing at all or famine poverty like you would imagine for Africa, not that I've been there or parts of Africa, obviously, or the Middle East, but not that I've been to either of those places. But the, there's real poverty in, in Australia. The towns that I experienced it the most were country New South Wales towns like Burke. It's really, and it's such a, that's almost like a, a sacrilegious, un-Australian thing to say. And it's, but I don't say it to denounce Burke. It's nothing to do with Burke. Burke is just symptomatic of the way that our culture has civilized itself in inverted commas around Australia or around Australia's coasts and left kind of not much for the middle. So Burke, Coobapedi, these are places where it's weird. It's so hard to describe. It's almost like the, how I've come to think of it is it's like there's a bunch of these different social ecosystems that are all in the one habitat. Where are you going with this? Rolls habitat, but living completely independently. So rolling into Coobapedi, for example, is probably where I noticed it the most and realized that was the pattern that I'd been noticing before, but it was so pronounced in Coobapedi. So I roll into town. I'm just visiting so I belong to this one first ecosystem of tourists and that's all the grey nomads, all the car tourists, like obviously anyone just passing through. The second ecosystem is the people that live and work there. Coobapedi is a big mining town and there's apparently over 50 nationalities of people, but I didn't talk to pretty much any of them. They weren't really available there to mingle with. They're off doing their thing, which is down a bloody mine shaft. So they're kind of completely separate to the tourist industry, even though what they're digging up is what's driving that tourist industry. Maybe I just didn't go and talk to so many people and those two ecosystems could have been more interwoven than they were, but they're definitely, the two of them, completely separate from the next two ecosystems, which is the indigenous population and the police. And I thought of, I, like, that's how I think of all these country towns, whether it's Burke or Coobapedi or anywhere else super remote and on that tourist trail. It's like, it's so unnerving to have these four kind of groups of people who are coexisting in this one shared space and have nothing to do with each other. And they're all doing fairly extreme things day to day. I mean, the level of adversity faced by the remaining indigenous populations in country towns of Australia. It's crazy. And that occupies pretty much all of the police attention. So that was crazy for me because I just did not expect that level of destitution in this country. And it's been a real eye opener for me to be a bit more humble, but I don't really know what to do about it from here. It's definitely going to be in my brain, but I think hopefully just, well, the thing I can do about it straight away is just be all the more appreciative for what I've got and for the crazy volume of opportunities that I have with my life here. So now I'm trying to think about what I've done since I got home. I've been like pretty much cruising, really. Like, Actually, I'll tell you one thing I've been doing. I've been getting sick. It's the lamest, worst fucking thing ever. I've been developing allergies as an almost 30-year-old man. Like, at the age of 29, suddenly my immune system's just like, nah, that's enough. Sorry. No, we're not sorry, actually. You just, you ran out. That's it. That was the threshold. You, you blew it. Something you did, you blew it. 
and I don't know what I did. And I feel like such a sook because I'm having all these allergic reactions to things I don't know about. But like in February last year, I had an anaphylactic reaction. I ended up in an ambulance at a hospital with a swollen mouth and throat and heaps of injections and all of that stuff. And from everything that I've learned about it, it's just this cascading thing. But it's been the lamest thing to just be getting sick heaps. And anyway, I guess this is a long-winded excuse why there was such a long break between the last podcast and this one. Um... What else have I been doing? I've been kind of trying to sell the truck because I don't have another trip to go on and it kind of feels like silly to keep it. Um, It feels kind of cruel to trap the truck in Sydney, actually. That's what it is. It's like having having a farm animal and no farm. I just feel bad. It's It's beyond my means. So I'm trying to sell it, but I mean, I'm also, I say that and I'm also still modifying it and still doing things with it and playing with it and just obsessively cleaning it. So... I guess like I am and I'm not trying to sell it. I went back up to Stockton in it a couple of weekends ago to do an emu parade up there. And actually, that was really scary. It was kind of a cool pilgrimage because Stockton was where everything kicked off for emu parade and picking up rubbish and using picking up rubbish as a framework for travel and then ending up buying a fire truck off the internet and everything. Um, But it was really scary to go back up there, even though it was cool to close the loop and take the new truck after a huge lap of Oz back to like ground zero. The rubbish up there, it seems worse than ever. And that's after picking a ton of it up by myself. Uh, was it last year? No, year before in my old ute and feeling at that time just so bewildered, so blown away by the density and how easy it was to pick up that much rubbish. But there's now, it feels like there's more up there now than ever, um, which was kind of a shame, but really, really nice to be up there in the world's best cleanup mobile um, that runs on vegetable oil and has space to, I think I took 250 kilos over the weekend. And the truck was sick on the beach. And it was like a really satisfying come to Jesus moment of like closing the loop and really reflecting on how the last two years of my life has just escalated from this utter obsession with rubbish. Like that's what it is. It's an obsession with rubbish, how much I make of it, whether I can burn some of it in my truck instead of diesel, um, recycling wetsuits. I mean, it's all just, I'm just obsessed with rubbish because... Like even rubbish information, that's my latest obsession, guys. I I caught myself reading this absolutely depraved story on the internet with my coffee the other morning, reading the news. And then halfway through, I was just like, this is horrible. This is how many people dead in how many, what sort of grotesque fashion. Like, This horrible headline that for God knows why I clicked, but I'm in it. And then halfway through, I was like, that's enough. I don't don't actually want to think about that at 8.30 in the morning. Like, this is crazy to start my day with information like that. That is just a toxic information diet. And it's it's kind of like junk food. Like, and I'm just going to, I think that's just the new version of rubbish that I'm kind of obsessed with right now. Maybe I need to read less news. That isn't that a crazy thing to say? But like, I know a lot of people that have been doing that that don't read the news are just like, no, nope, not interested. I'll find out the most important stuff when it comes out. People will be talking about it. I'll see it on somewhere else. But people don't read the news just like they don't do social media. And I'm starting to come around to it because I don't want a crappy junk information diet like that, even though... But then again, you're just like, you're rejecting the world at that point in time if that's what you're doing. You're partly kind of volunteering to be ignorant about a lot of stuff. 
I guess it's all about how relevant the wider world is because what do they say? They say, they, you know them, they say, what you see is all there is. And, you know, when you, I don't know about you, I'm not always in the, in like the Zen Buddha headspace for that stuff to like turn light bulbs on in my brain, but it helps me get there thinking about it for sure. Like, oh my God, that's so true. That What you see is all there is. Like I can think about these crazy things that are happening around the world, read horrible news stories, but if it's not really affecting my life, I guess it's what point it starts to affect your life. Like Donald Trump did affect Australian lives. So you can't really just reject the news to that level. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, my plans for the podcast are basically to continue doing it for better or for worse, because, you know, I just feel like I'm being a better person when I'm doing it regularly. It's like digital journaling, like a digital diary, I guess. A digital di- Dear diary, today I just felt like um, the coffee that I got was okay, but I just think it should be better because most places do it better. And someone, I, I don't know, I just wish I had a better coffee this morning. Okay, thanks, diary. Yeah, that's pretty much me. Um... It is, it is a digital diary. It's making myself accountable. And like I said earlier, being able to, like my one guaranteed listener being my future self, I want to have this stuff down so that I can go back. Because like, what a kick that's going to be. If I have the good fortune to make it to 80 years old, then pour a whiskey and just listen to this utter nonsense. Oh, it'd be, I think it'll be good for my evolution. I think it will. I don't think it'll be bad doesn't matter. Let's not revisit that. Um, I am going to continue doing podcasts and just make myself accountable because it does it does a bunch of things that I think are good for me, whether people listen to it or not, other than my future self. I just love talking to people. So I'm going to try and lock in as many more interesting people to talk to as I can because I'm just dead set obsessed with this whole idea and proving that like proving through as many other human experiences as I can, that there is an amazing solution right in front of us to mend climate change as well as mending our mental health. I think the environment and our headspace, interdependent. It's undeniable at this point. And attending to one is attending to the other. So, and like definitely the more I've realized that, the better my life has become on both of those fronts. I feel like I'm happier and I feel like I have a smaller footprint at the same time than I ever used to. So I think it's also got to be a part of a lot of other people who are much more impressive and successful than me. So I want to see how that has played out for other people and just really try and extract that hypothesis. So those are going to be the people that I want to try and pin down for a chat. Anyone who can contribute something towards that philosophy that a connection to the environment has driven their life, driven their purpose, given them peace, all that stuff. Um, And that's it. So I think that's probably heaps. For now, I'm going to say goodbye and thank you for listening and clicking play on this thing again. Insane. Insane that you did that when you could have chosen anything. You could be listening to Joe Rogan right now, guys, and you chose this. That's amazing. I say to myself that no one listens to it, but like obviously if you're hearing this and you've just heard me say that, then you've just heard me say that, so you are listening to it, so thank you a lot basically nice one Ross that was probably the worst sentence anyone's ever said ever but to you listening it really does mean a lot that you are because obviously it means you are interested in that same thing that I am as far as saving the planet by saving ourselves I'll talk to you again soon